Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm one with the force. The force is with me. Javier Lopez. <laughs> and, uh, hey, we're back from hiatus again. <laughs> I know, we keep accidentally taking these hiatuses, but again, life keeps happening. <laughs> and also, it's the summer. We like going out and doing stuff with friends and family. Sometimes it's not so easy to, you know, stay in and slave over all these wonderful content we should be putting out well it also helps that the last uh week that we recorded a new episode we did two episodes in a week i know so that might be a cool format to think about going further but it's also fuck that that's a lot of work (laughs) yeah no it's it's more like uh it was more like an apology for us uh kind of going away for a while so and be ready for another apology this week Um, so we're back continuing our Star Wars series, and, oh, I also want to ask everyone to please excuse the just dramatic amount of background noise that you're going to hear in this episode. Uh, I'm going to try to reduce as much of it as possible, but we just could not record in our normal studio. Understand that, yes, we live in the Bay Area, but it happens to be, the place we were recording in... Is that just happens to be like the desert part of the Bay Area where it can be, I don't know, like maybe 20 degrees hotter than the coast. So, yeah, we, we don't want to suffer that much for our, for our craft. <laughs> uh, so, you know, coming back to the Star Wars franchise after a couple weeks gone, um, more than that maybe. Yeah, it feels... Uh, um, it's it's definitely okay i'm pretty excited about this because i'm gonna kind of spoil it now but this is my second favorite movie in the star wars franchise the first one that he loves so much is the last jedi no (laughs) (laughs) no uh i don't want to get into my thoughts on last jedi right now because (laughs) i want to tease that for our episode but really i have a top three and it goes Empire, Rogue One, Last Jedi. Oh, God. I hate (laughs) you so much. Oh, God. But today we're talking about Rogue One, a film that... I guess it was the first film to break break the tradition of, you know, having to be attached to a greater story arc, right? Well, what I was excited about when the news of this movie started coming out was, okay, Disney bought Lucasfilm. Yes. And they were announcing that for the very first time in, like, you know, over a decade, we were going to get a new Star Wars movie. Hooray. Which was exciting enough that they were going to do a brand new trilogy. The other part of it that got less attention but excited me just as much, if not more, was the fact that along with this new trilogy of Star Wars movies there was going to be a series of Star Wars one-offs. Yep. And we've already talked about one of those one-offs being, you know, Solo, a Star Wars story, which unfortunately, as we talked about in that previous one, may have been the one to kill the one-off stories. I'm hoping that's not exactly the case. I haven't really heard much about Jon Favreau's uh, The Mandalorian. No, but I have heard rumblings that that the... Star Wars story franchise may be reawakening at oh, some point soon. Fuck yeah! Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know what's going to awaken it, but um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. What's A two-hour Chewbacca movie of him racing <laughs> on Solo? <laughs> um, 
What excited me about this, okay, I knew Felicity Jones was being casted in this movie. I I can't really say that I've ever watched anything with her in it. Mm-mm. This is my introduction to her. It's weird because of this cast, as far as like, you know, I'm kind of like the, the everyman of the duo. <laughs> I think the only person I've right away recognized was Donnie Yen, mm-hmm. who plays uh, Chiru. And aside from him, I knew Diego Luna just because I've heard the name before. Like, it was just more the name than the actor itself. Like, I wouldn't be able to tell you much else I've seen Diego Luna in. Mm -hmm. Um, I would. the other person that I recognized... Well, the other two people I recognized, and one only was until I started watching the movie. I mean, I uh, I recognized Mads Mikkelsen. Mikkelsen? Mads Mikkelsen. Um, really? Yeah, Mickelson. That's such a we- like normal. That's such a normy way of pronouncing that name. I thought it was gonna be something cool. Well, Mads Mickelson for guys like me who've been watching television and uh, saw his fantastic three years as Hannibal Lecter on the Hannibal television series. And I was also just a gigantic fan of his from you know when he was Le Chief in uh, Casino Royale. Yeah, he was also. Uh he was Mordu or Baron Mordru in uh, Doctor Strange. He always yeah. looks like the bad guy. All right, he like you you see his face and you're like, oh yeah, he's a big time movie villain. I know that. He's also in uh, that new like Hideo Kojima video game. I don't know if you know or are familiar with Hideo Kojima, but he's the guy that did all the Metal Gear Solid games. And essentially, he was gonna make a horror game, and but he got really cool. I'm assuming he did a bunch of cocaine with uh, Guillermo del Toro, and mm-hmm. then he introduced him to a bunch of like Hollywood big actors. Point is, now Mads Mikkelsen is gonna be in a video game, and it's gonna be titties. <laughs> uh, I know Alan Tudyk. Everybody does. Who does? If you're a nerd and you don't know Alan Tudyk, that's uh, perfectly fine because we don't gatekeep in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but go get very. Uh, Get familiar with him, because he's great, and he was great in this movie. And mm. I actually had seen Diego Luna in something previously. What else has he been in? Uh, Well, most popularly, there was a uh, film that he did with... Oh God, what is his name? Gar- Gar- Gael, Gael Garcia Bernal. Gael Bernal, yeah. yeah. Y tu mama también. Everybody, like... I oh, mean, that like, was... He was in that one? Yeah. Oh, I remember yeah. y tu mama And um, also... <laughs> Amoris Peros? No, well, okay, Aww. so I I had a friend who, for some reason, she always wanted me to watch uh, the Dirty Dancing Havana Nights sequel that was essentially like a, it felt like a direct-to-video sequel to the Dirty Dancing movie, and oh, all the actors yeah, were gone, yeah, yeah. but because it was a Cuban kind of like style and they had changed it a little bit. Diego Luna was the male co-star in that film. But he's not Cuban. In that movie he was, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched this since I was in high school, so I couldn't tell you anything about him. But, I mean, like, I'd seen him and stuff before. Oh, he's Cuban now. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, I think it's important to talk about the fact that, you know, we're both, we are both of Hispanic descent in this podcast. So, it is pretty exciting and I'm sure, you know, I'm not the only person that's had this. Like, I've had plenty of conversations with friends of mine who have 
explain to me just how emotional they felt when they saw the trailer for Force Awakens for the first time, and you saw that the main character and that that one of the main characters in that movie was black. Like that is a gigantic deal. Black dude with the with lightsaber that wasn't Mace Windu. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Um, and you know, like just the new Star Wars franchise is good for this. It's mm-hmm. actually kind of funny when you think about it because the new Star Wars movies actually posit a lot of uh, a lot of the characters as people of different ethnicities and genders mm-hmm. while the evil <laughs> villains in each movie tend to be white men <laughs> so I'm not trying to make any I'm not trying to make any uh, you know comparisons like on that for Disney it's just one of those funny things that it kind of just turned out that way I guess <laughs> I'm tired of these goddamn cuck wars giving me the <laughs> SJW bullshit. God damn it. <laughs> cuck wars. <laughs> <laughs> I miss this series. I feel like some of the best bits of the podcast are all going to come from our Star Wars series. I know. <laughs> it's like throwing a bunch of darts at the dartboard. Eventually one of them will hit. Uh, so, you know, my experience with this movie... Uh, I saw the trailer for the first time uh, when we want, went to watch uh, Force Awakens. That's right. And uh, I was fucking excited when I knew that we were going to get another movie in the Star Wars franchise. Um, I watched the movie in December of 2016. It was, you know, it was a nice... It was my first Christmas in my home that I live in now, my new home at mm-hmm. that time, right? Uh, so it was nice. My wife and I went to watch it, God, like, I think it was a couple weeks after, or maybe like a week after we set up our Christmas decorations for the first time. Mm. This new Star Wars franchise, like, Christmas makes me think of Star Wars now. Like, they have reconditioned me into thinking that, you know, that is the time of year for Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so Star Wars has become a new Christmas movie? It's pretty, yeah, it's become the exciting thing. Like, I even, I think that year, like, I even had a Kylo Ren, like, tree ornament and everything. Like, <laughs> it's, it was, like how, uh, it's like how... Like the Harry Potter franchise is considered to be a Christmas movie because every move, every one movie has a Christmas scene in yeah. it, even though it's about you know disgusting hedonist witches <laughs> that should be burned at the stake. Um. So oh, and also I think it's important to you know to mention is that the week that I actually watched Rogue One was the week that Carrie Fisher passed away. R.I.P. And I was, it was shocking and also just kind of emotional the fact that this film ends the way it does mm-hmm. and we'll talk about it when we get there but yeah it's it's a pretty big deal um you know that this week was the week that she had passed away you know star wars like really jumped into the consciousness because everyone was you know unfortunately she passed away and then a couple years later her mother De- debbie reynolds also passed away mm-hmm. as well you know it's uh it's it's yeah it was it was a crazy week in Star Wars land. But, um, yeah, I just remember loving this movie. I was also just on board because, you know, we talked about how we liked Godzilla 2014. Mm-hmm. The director of this movie is Gareth Edwards. Yep. Uh, Gareth Edwards, this is what he chose to follow up Godzilla with. And I... This is one of those directors that I swear to God, I want to see anything that he does or is involved with. I want to watch it. It's really interesting because Gareth Edwards... I don't know what original... Like, 
IPs he's worked on or if there's any like anything he's created himself. But so far, everything. Well, monsters. Oh yeah, which I didn't watch. Wait, no way, I did watch it. I watched the first one. I Mon- think there's only one. No, there's a monsters two now. Oh. It probably sucks balls. It but... probably does suck balls. <laughs> I'll never watch it. And I watched. I, I remember. I saw parts of Mon. I can. I do vaguely remember it, but like he does a really good. He. I don't know. It feels like he has a niche, where it's like he's just or niche, depending on you know how you know what I much of a you know what I kind are. of liken him to. I liken him to a guy that's making big budget fan films. I can see that. That's like, a fair he, way to put it. Like he can Godzilla, fix what you fucked up. Before. Well, his Godzilla movie included a lot of stuff that people complained about that was missing from the '98 abortion film that was made by Roland Emmerich, right? Which, mm. by the way, that motherfucker is still making movies. <laughs> There's that world. <laughs> Fuck yeah! I went to watch like Spider-Man: Far From Home recently, and I saw like a trailer for some fucking Pearl Harbor World War II CGI bastardization <laughs> movie that just looks awful that uh they showed the trailer for <laughs> like and it was just stupid like that was ass but you know he come he came in and he and he fixed that and he you know he took out that bad taste that you had in your mouth from that movie with this 2014 movie even though it wasn't the greatest godzilla movie ever we both have admitted on this podcast yeah. that we have a lot of fondness for it it's weird because even though we don't necessarily like it, we don't hate it. Well, he I feel like this film is his it's him doing that for the Star Wars prequels now. Yeah. Like he's essentially taking all the disgusting things that George Lucas did in that prequel <laughs> series, all that nonsense that we were complaining Ew. about for 3 films about like, you know, how his main character was a fucking pervert Anakin Skywalker who was both annoying and creepy at the same time. <laughs> he was 100% unsympathetic, so that made me feel, I guess, good. Unfortunately, like, that prequel series also got, like, a fucking non-performance out of Natalie Portman, who's supposed to be a fantastic, spectacular actress. <laughs> Ewan McGregor was the only thing trying to hold it down. <laughs> If it wasn't for Sam Jackson and Ewan McGregor, I would have probably phoned it in on that. Like, on this entire series back then. But I remember, like, when the synopsis for this movie first came, like, you know, on the internet. I was really excited because the premise that I was reading online was, this is going to be a heist film uh, Mm. in the Star Wars universe. Mm Mm-hmm. And the, it was it was like a super simple like one small paragraph like description. It was saying this is a heist film revolving around a group of people who get the plans for the Death Star. Sold right there, right? Well, you didn't have to say anything else for me. Someone told me it was Suicide Squad in space, and that's all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> but we're also two different people. <laughs> so uh, you know. I, we I think there's nothing more we can do at this point except talk about the movie that we watched. Um, it starts off a big contrast to the original Star Wars uh, prequels. 
we're like in Iceland, like in actual mm-hmm. like locations that exist on Earth. We're finally away from the goddamn green screen, and I, for one, am happy. I talked about it in Solo, how cool it was to go back to these. You talked about it in Solo, and they continue this. Well, technically, this came first, so Solo continued it. But yeah, it is nice to be out in fresh air, and holy shit, does it make a difference. It feels like you're in... It, the other thing is that you feel like you're not watching something that looks almost cartoonish and you're Mm -hmm. actually watching something that feels more cinematic and what i mean by that is that this the intro to this movie feels a lot like inglorious bastards to me yeah (laughs) that is very like that is very appropriate (laughs) like in the beginning like this film starts off with the well like you mentioned earlier kind of ditches the the main crawl and there's no opening crawl it just starts with you know a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and just immediately cuts right into it right and they're at this place what do you remember what the name of the planet was the planet of lamu that's what i was thinking of and we get introduced to galen galen liara no, well, I was trying to remember the name of his wife. Oh. Lyra. Oh, okay. Galen, Lyra, and Jin Urso. So the Urso family, right? Mm-hmm. And they get confronted by who I consider to be the film's main bad angel. You said that you think it's more of a, like, he's the antagonist, but not necessarily the, ba- the big bad of this movie. But he get, we get introduced to Orson Krennic. Who's like the lead weapons guy for the Empire. No, Krennic is the villain of this movie for me. I'm just saying that in a weird way, it feels like a triangle. Okay. There's, it feels like there's a trinity of bad guys, which kind of ditches the you know two bad guys like kind of motif that Star Wars always has. Where it's one guy like who's the apprentice and the other one who's the you know overlord. This is... It's different, but mm-hmm. I, in many, for, for, for all intents and purposes, Krennic is the bad guy to me. He is the, you know, land of this movie <laughs> who is here to, you know, take this family and, you know, the reason why they're all going to get, I guess, either kidnapped or killed is because they need, they need to take uh, Galen away. Right off the bat, when you see a dude in an impeccably shiny-looking suit with other dudes with big guns and also impeccably shiny suits, it's very safe to assume somebody will die in this interaction. Well, it's also important to note that these guys look like stormtroopers, but they're in all black, and the name officially given to them is Death Troopers. Oh, wow. (laughs) What could they possibly be here for? They really fucking wear their like their mission on their sleeve right there. But the thing is, like Orson Krennic's uniform specifically, like of uh, we've talked about it before, like the imagery how in all these films, there it's very like the Empire is meant to be associated with the Third Reich, right? Mm-hmm. Holy shit! When you see him with his little cape and his little hat, I was like, if this guy doesn't look like he came off the set of Inglorious Bastards, at, like standing right next to freaking uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, you're right, Christoph Waltz Hansler. <laughs> <laughs> and so, crap, Krennic. Why do I keep forgetting his name? Krennic ends up kidnapping Galen and ordering the death of his family. <laughs> like he, he's 
super establishes himself as a bad guy. Well, that and then Bendel, Ben Men, Ben Mendelsohn is the actor's name. And uh, I think the first time I had seen him in something was in Dark Knight Rises, where he plays John Daggett. And this guy just seems to be one of those like actors where when I see him and stuff, he's usually a scumbag. Yeah. So, you know, right away, he's got scumbag energy, but he's also a lethal killer. <laughs> and yeah, they like essentially destroy everything that the Ursos had. They kidnap, they kidnap Galen, and Jin manages to escape with the help of one of Galen's old running buddies, Saw Guerrera. They murder uh, his wife. Yeah, Lyra gets it right away. Um, and yeah, uh, I knew Forrest Whitaker was in this movie, and I knew that he was playing a character named Saw Guerrera, who's supposed to be like a rebel extremist. So yeah, one this- of the things that we talked about in the last uh, Star Wars story that we reviewed, the Solo movie, was that there that movie was all about characters who live in the gray. Yep. This movie is. Not the same, but similar in some ways, because you know there's reluct. There really is a reluctant hero in this story, mm-hmm. and there's also you know the idea that. Well, it plays with the fact that even if you're on the side of good, quote unquote, big ass quotation fingers, there are degrees to it. And not when you have to be the good guy, you're not necessarily actually a good guy, you know. And like we see that a lot when we're talking about Cassian, you know. Cassian is essentially a spy and an assassin, but he does that for the, you know, for the rebellion, and he does it as you know as a member of the Rebel Alliance. So it, it explores a lot of like the intricacies between what you would see between being in good and evil. And what I really like what it does with Saw Gerrera specifically is it shows you that the Rebel Alliance is not one huge like unified front. Like there are various people that are all over the spectrum as far as what they think should happen. And Saw Gerrera is apparently enough of a loose cannon that not many people in the Rebel Alliance actually even want to work with him. Well, it helps. What this movie does is it really helps to... It helps to add actual validity to the end of Episode 3. Because Mm -hmm. the idea at the end of Episode 3 was that you had this entire Republic that becomes one evil galactic empire... And what this movie kind of shows is that, yes, despite the fact that Palpatine did take over and it did become a galactic empire, there was also splinter groups inside of this, Mm -hmm. which is totally easy to understand, right? Like, you have a lot of bad people who are working in this. There has to be different, you know, levels of of this. Not everybody's going to be Jimmy Smith's. Yeah. (laughs) And I think they they do a really good job of establishing that and establishing it fairly quickly, right? So the film introduces us to a cargo pilot by the name of Bodie Rook. Bodie? Bodie Rook, yeah. Anyway, so Bodie Rook? Rook? I don't. Ah, fuck it. Yeah. Anyway, Bodie. We're just going to call him Bodie from here on out. But anyway, Bodie was a, essentially a cargo pilot, kind of a low position job, but he just happens to find. A transmission sent from Galen to, or you know, to deliver to Saw, talking about the Death Star. Which, okay, when you first see Saw in the movie, he looks relatively normal. Yes. 
uh, when he is rescuing uh, Jin. Yeah. And then you get a flash forward to time that has gone by. 13 and, years. And <laughs> they are no longer together. They have been separated. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jin seems to be kind of... I hate how it always goes back to Batman. <laughs> but it, it's, it reminds me of, like, the beginning of Batman Begins. Yep, you got Mr. Wayne going to China, beating up criminals. <laughs> then you got Jin going to Jeddah, beating up criminals. <laughs> yeah, it's the same movie. I see what you're saying. <laughs> but when you do get back to Saw Gerrera, he looks absolutely crazy. He looks tore the fuck up. <laughs> And he kind of, you know what he reminds me of, and I hope this isn't too obscure. Dennis Hopper uh, played an evil character in Blue Velvet, the film by David Lynch. Yes. Uh, which Kyle McLaughlin is in. Have you ever? Do you have you I ever have seen? I have not seen Blue Velvet. You need to not only watch Blue Velvet if you ever get the chance. Watch the scene that he's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a scene where he is like huffing nitrous, Ew. like in like from a gas mask, much like Saw Gerrera is. And he's just going absolutely fucking fuck nuts insane. (laughs) (laughs) And I swear to God, like, that is what I could not stop thinking about when I saw Saw in this, like, modern time. He looks, he looks tore up and he looks crazy. Oh, God. And he's someone who's in some ways been excommunicated from the rebellion. Nah, I'd like to think he chose to leave because... He was too much of a real motherfucker for the rest of those pussies. <laughs> so after we're introduced to Bodhi, we get taken to the rings of Kafrin. Kafrin? Kafrin. And we're introduced to Cassian. So right off the bat, one, this furthers the theory of space Mexicans existing <laughs> in the Star Wars universe because Diego Luna speaks in his very authentic Mexican accent and I love it. And we also get the return of Jimmy Smith. Fuck yeah! So there's definitely a browning of the <laughs> of the galaxy happening. It sounds gross, but I'm with it. <laughs> so this where or this is kind of like my first confusing point because it could be I wasn't paying attention, but Cassian and his trusty sidekick robot K2SO. And, uh... Who is a reprogrammed Imperial droid. Oh, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> I love it. But him and K2 end up getting, like, they... They... Jump, or they, uh, ambush this Imperial prison transfer that Jin Erso is on. hmm But it's never said why, uh, Cassian intercepts the transport. So... I don't know. Do you remember them having a reason for it? I'm, I've seen this movie a lot of times, and to me, it's just always been implied. I can't tell you exactly why I've always thought that, but to me, it's just always been implied that Cassian knows that that is Jen Erso's daughter. I mean, that that is Galen Erso's daughter. daughter. Which I mean, it, it's fair because at least based on the social media and like the 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 commercials, it super implies that that Jen is. Even though she's not technically with the Alliance, she's just there to fuck up the Empire. That, and she's also got an established relationship with Saw Gerrera. Mm, that's true. Oh, yeah. So. It, was it because of that? I don't know. No. Anyway. So, he ends up, by he, I mean Cassian, ends up taking Jin to the 
kind of rebel holdout or the rebel rebel uh, like kind of base of operations, right? Where he goes and talks to the big wigs and explains to him, hey, I'd like to think that if Cassian was a fat guy, he would have said, heard. <laughs> but he goes up to pretty much all the rebel leaders and tells them, yo, there's this super weapon that we super should do something about. And they were like, nah, fam, don't do, nah, just playing. But seriously, they, they you know, they, they find out that uh, Galen, uh, what's it called? Uh, they had to extract Galen to be able to learn more about the Death Star, right? But... Cassian is also given a side order to eliminate Galen no matter what. Don't even take him, don't worry about it, alive. Mm -hmm. If we say dead or alive, don't worry about alive. Yeah, and we've already seen from earlier in the movie that Cassian is not someone who's afraid to kill when uh, the mission is, you know, when it's for the good of the mission, right? Yeah, not at all. Like, that's that's what makes him a really interesting character in that... Compared to a Jedi Knight, right, where Jedi's are honor bound and have the 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 law of the Jedi Order to kind of like rein them in, like this is the like this is this technically the second movie where or the second major Star Wars story where there is no Jedi involvement. Yeah, and it really feels like, damn. They're kind of on their own here, you know? As opposed to, like, the original trilogy where the Jedi Order was so vast and such an important part of the story. Here, it's like, these are literally just people, normal people, thrust in a very terrible situation. Well, these are probably people that haven't grown up in a world where the Jedi meant much of anything anymore, mm-hmm. right? Like, the end of the, the, the way the Jedi Order ended, you know, we've already talked about it. There's, I feel like this... This series wants us to, maybe wants us to think that Jedis were infallible and kind of what this entire series is about, but they're failures by and large. So they're way worse. <laughs> yeah. So. Like they, the, they, they fucked up so monumentally that it kind of would have been better to not have the Jedi to begin with. Uh, the other thing that this movie does that I think is really important to mention, and also just one of the reasons why I, I have so much esteem for this film is just how it builds up the Death Star as a true weapon of mass destruction. Yeah. Um, we are told the destruction that this device is capable of um, multiple times. And this helps, you know, the end of, of uh, Return of the Sith, uh, Revenge of the Sith, sorry. Yeah, Revenge. The end of Revenge of the Sith uh, gives us, you know, a taste of where things are going. This kind of fills in a lot of the blanks for us, but we still haven't seen what this weapon will do. No, we just know it exists. It's playing on the fact that you as a viewer know that the Death Star is bad. And that's it. You know, we haven't really been... uh, But we will soon find out because, you know, uh, Bodhi is imprisoned, ready to talk to Saw Gerrera. So he's in Jeddah. And Jin, Cassian, and K2 have to go down to Jeddah to pretty much uh, procure Bodhi so that they can use him to get to Galen. Yep. So that's where we're at so far in the story. And uh, while, you know, they are on their way over there, Saw Gerrera has captured him and decides to interrogate him by using... Mutos. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he uses a creature... What is it called? The... uh, Borgullet? 
uh, which is a tentacled monster that, for all intents and purposes, decides to have brain sex with Bodhi to pull the secrets from his mind. Ew! Why do you gotta <laughs> say it like that? I think this also, like... <laughs> I feel like this section of the movie also greatly implies that part of the reason why uh, Forrest Whitaker is so batshit crazy is because he's probably been using this thing on himself for years. Hey, wanna get high? <laughs> Just start shoving tentacles up his nose. <laughs> he goes, oh, it's fucking sweet the way it stings your brain. <laughs> oh, God. So, we get to Jeddah. I was about to say Jakku, but no, it's Jeddah. <laughs> Dude, I, when I first watched this, it was the year right after, uh, you know, uh, fucking force awakens and i just could not stop confusing jetta for jakku right like and there at one point i wanted uh i wanted somebody to yell what's down in jakku and like just because it reminded me of john boyega but yeah so they get down to they get down to jetta but our heroes by which i mean you know cassian and jen uh, they fly down to jetta this whole time k2 does not trust like jen at all and they, that leads to some really good back and forth between them. Where. <laughs> Congratulations, you are being rescued. <laughs> please, what was it? Please do no, not, not resist. resist. <laughs> or the other part where she gets the gun and he goes, Do you don't want to know what the chances are of her using that gun on us are? Because <laughs> it's really high. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Alan Tudyk's so amazing. Again, this movie, much like uh, the solo film that we covered a few weeks ago. It really gives, like, the droids steal the show, in a way. Yeah. They are uh, played by... They're just characterized in such a relatable way that it is awesome to, to, to care about, like, characters like this so much. And it's really interesting to go from droids like C-3PO and R2-D2 that are just kind of, like, there for funsies and, like, for dumb, goofy things, like, doofy, goofy jokes... Like, remember when C-3PO's head was put on a battle droid? Oh, wow, that was so funny. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, these droids are... <laughs> the droids in these uh, prequels are a lot more functional. Yeah. I think is the best way to they put it. They actually push the, the plot along. Which I guess you can make the argument R2 does. C-3PO <laughs> can suck a dick. I do, I do like when they're about to get kidnapped at one, uh, at one point by the... Uh, by the extremists, <laughs> that, uh, well, before then, right when they're the stormtroopers that are occupying yeah. the city. So when they're going through Jetta, they disguise uh, they disguise Jin and Cassian as uh, prisoners, <laughs> and then K two is off like he's like uh, supposedly transporting them to prison. Yeah, he goes. These are prisoners that I am transporting to prison <laughs> and then when Cassia tries to like explain <laughs> K2 smacks the shit out of him and goes quiet it's so and apparently that whole part was added improvised like. yeah and the other part that was improvised was when Alec Tudyk says and there's a fresh one <laughs> <laughs> it was so fucking good dude so as we get down or as they're um as they're like trying to escape, or not escape, but maneuver through Jetta, mm -hmm. uh, Saw Gerrera's forces essentially like hide among the people and attack the death, or not the death troopers, sorry, the stormtroopers in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. And it leads to this huge, awesome fight. 
But then it also introduces to two of my favorite characters in this movie, where one appears to be a blind monk who chants about the Force. And then suddenly he proceeds to beat the ever-loving shit out of like six or seven stormtroopers with nothing but a stick. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, the idea of the blind like fighter is something that... You've, I'm sure you've seen before, like in martial arts films and everything. Oh yeah, and this and this is the also blind swordsman. That's a huge like and samurai sword. movies as yeah. well, right? Like, and I think it's important to note that one of the original influences for George Lucas for uh, for the original Star Wars was Kurosawa, like you know, samurai movies. Yeah. Like, so it's it's nice that this series is wanting to go back to that. I think there's another movie that you could have that can be in this territory completely. There's just... What I like about these prequels is that it makes the universe so expansive. Yeah. Despite the fact that you're crossing over with characters that you will see later in the franchise, it doesn't feel as claustrophobic as that first prequel series does. It's not like they're forcing so many things to connect this film to every other film. Which I was concerned... Before this movie came out, when I found out that Darth Vader was going to be in it, because I thought it was going to be very forced and kind of just an excuse to bring people to the theater by, by just you know shoehorning him into the plot. I can get a movie, a two-hour movie of just Darth Vader scenes, and I would be <laughs> one happy motherfucker. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I was like I agree. I was so worried of them doing what they did with the uh, with the prequel trilogy that they just wanted to shoehorn and force so many goddamn references to the original <laughs> trilogy, and they do. Yeah. And when they're in Jeddah, they do have a very like shoehorned in scene, and that is maybe the most ham-fisted this film gets. There is a ton of references to other Star Wars films, yeah, but again, not done in the annoying George Lucas way where they right. shoot the spotlight yeah. to focus on things, you know, like. And that's what I appreciated. They had maybe one scene that I was like, okay, calm it down. And that's when they run into the guy that Obi-Wan cuts his arm off and they're on uh, Tatooine, you mm -hmm. know? Like, it's not, it's not super ham-fisted. But we get introduced to the blind fighter, Chiru, and his homie, BFF, hetero life mate. <laughs> I think there's... Baze? Okay. Baze? Baze? I, Baze. Baze, I think it's right? Baze, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it is... I, uh, not implied, I do feel like a way that you can read it is that maybe there is some sort of romantic relationship between these guys. Something's going on in here. <laughs> but, you know, I think one of the things that I also like about this movie is that this movie, it can imply a relationship between these two characters and also between Cassian and Jin. But that's not the point of this. Yeah. And I, again... Like, you may watch it, and you may not get that impression of it at all. Like, all I'm saying is that it's just one of those things where it's like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, and I, to me, it felt like it could be, but mm -hmm. that was just my reading of the film is what I mean. Nah, I did, I did feel that they were very close to each other. Uh, and you'll see, especially towards the end of the film, that that super does come out. But yeah, it, again, if it was trying to make a, if it was trying to make a stance, so to speak, or it was trying to like be a virtue signaling moment, I didn't get. I don't think it I didn't is. Get those vibes. I don't think it is. I really think that if if the if the purpose of this relationship is a homosexual male relationship, 
the point of it is that it's normal. Like, these guys are people, and if they are gay, there is nothing in the story that has to, like... It just allows these characters to exist without having to explain, you know, anything, right? Mm. And I think that's kind of... It, the same with Cassian. Cassian is very clearly ethnically different, but we don't have to go out of our way to it explain It doesn't that. dwell on anything. Yeah. It might introduce you, hey, if you want to think about this, go for it. It's just a fun movie talk. Yeah. So we get introduced to Chiru and uh, Baze. And Jin, uh, Jin and Cassian end up getting kidnapped by the, by the, uh, what's it called? Um, by Saw Gerrera's forces. Along with uh, Chirut and Baze, who come along with them. My favorite part is when they put the bag over yeah. Chirut's face. He goes, really? Yeah. <laughs> and then they end up taking him to, uh, to meet with, uh, to meet with uh, Saw, right? Yeah. And Jin and Saw clearly have bad blood. And they do not... Well, Jin does not like Saw. Yeah, they. I mean, it's not that they hate each other, but there clearly was a falling out at one point. Yep. And Jin reveals it's when Saw abandoned her. Yeah. And what, it's one of those things where Saw thought he was doing the good thing. Jin, you know, was like, I'm a 13-year-old girl, shut up. <laughs> and, you know, it was like... It, it was a really interesting interaction because, like... I was kind of expecting Saw to be, like, this father figure for her. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense that he's not because her dad is still alive. Yeah. And actually, in this scene, and I texted you as soon as I finished the film, and to this day, my favorite Star Wars scene has to be uh, Galen Erso's message to his wife. I mean, his wife, to his daughter. To Jen. Because it's yeah. so... Like, they do so much to tell that story in such a short amount of time without doing anything. Well, this is the movie. This scene is, like, if you could, if you could narrow this scene down to one, narrow this film down to one scene, it's this. Yep. It is the thing where one of the biggest issues that I always had with the original Star Wars was despite all the awesome world building it did... And how great a movie it is. And we're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. And I'm very excited because I love that movie so much. Um, the it's, Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I think one of the bigger issues that I had with it was the fact that the Death Star, which was supposed to be this weapon that is capable of great destruction, um, is easily destroyed by Luke shooting it in the sweet spot where it blows up suddenly. <laughs> and it's kind of like the... Thing that annoyed us about General Grievous in episode 3 as well where it's like you leave one spot that's super exposed and hitting you in that one spot like kills you it's like they were foreshadowing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that the Empire's really stupid at engineering but the explanation of this was great yep. and that's that uh, you know Galen is very much like uh, you know Oppenheimer. Is, yeah, where he is he very is much Robert like Oppenheimer. He is very much like Robert Oppenheimer, the guy who you know created the atomic bomb and who's likely lived much of his life with regret over the fact that he's made something that both changed the world um, just forever and also may have had a negative impact on people, like mm -hmm. just in general, right? Like it is just it it, it caused incredible destruction. Uh, nuclear weapons are something that remain a threat forever, yep. you know, that we always talk about. 
with like presidential launch codes and stuff like that. <laughs> like we memeing, but nah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm scared. <laughs> but you know, he decided that if he was gonna create this weapon, he was gonna have to do it so that they wouldn't kill. You know, they wouldn't try to, you know, take revenge any more revenge than they already did on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he was gonna create it, he was gonna do it from the inside. He was gonna create a weapon that was capable of great destruction, but also that would be destroyed. And uh, I think the, the uh, I guess, in IT, we call it the back-out plan. Yeah. And I guess the back-out plan for this uh, project is Stardust, right? Yep. Which is what Galen has called Jin for, you know, since she was a child. Yep. And uh, the idea is that he purposefully put this weakness in there so that this weapon could be easily destroyed once they figured it out. And the best part is that Galen doesn't really... He doesn't really, like, take sides. He just knows he's not with the Empire. So it's like he doesn't even create it for the Rebel Alliance to take advantage of this weak point. He just creates it in the hopes that someone takes advantage of this information. He has hope. Yep. And the fact that this next movie after this is going to be called A New Hope... The theme of hope is so strong in this film. And I think what this movie does is it gives great stakes to the original Star Wars film. Not that the movie didn't already have stakes to it, mm-hmm. but it just gives it more of a dramatic weight. Yep. That it was one of those things where it's like, I don't know if I needed this, but once I figured out it existed and once I watched it, I never want to go back to a world where, where this movie Rogue doesn't One exist. didn't happen. Yeah. And it was like... And I just love this scene because, one, uh, Mads is such a fucking great, like, actor. I love his delivery when he gives that line, I did the one thing no one expected me to do, and that was to lie. Mm. And uh, what was the other line he said that was really good? Um, Ah, crap. It escapes me. But then the entire time, they're having, like, this very touching, like, father-daughter moment. Even though they're like, you know, they're just hundreds of miles of thousands upon billions of miles away from each other. They're having this really touching moment where she finally like, you know, she's getting that validation. And she's not only that, but she's seen that her dad didn't betray her. You know, her she sees that her whole time she was probably told her dad, you know, betrayed the family and betrayed like freedom and became like a goose stepping piece of shit. Yeah, and there's this there's this dare I say Anakin Skywalker esque angst that she has oh, totally. when this movie starts. She had <laughs> this is this is that moment where if it was like a teen movie where like after the kid has his little freak out like and goes and does a lot of drugs his parents go pick him up from his friend's house while he's high and just like take care of him and shit and then he realizes damn my parents do love me this is like the dramatic intervention scene yeah before the character <laughs> finally gets off drugs yeah like why are we comparing it to this i don't know thanks anakin <laughs> but that's exactly what it is it's like this scene where she realizes hey galen wasn't a piece of shit in fact, he loved you so much that you're going to be the person that is, like, the call sign to for the Empire's downfall, you know? And suddenly, this character who had was totally cool, just chilling on the sideline and wanted nothing to do with this holy war, suddenly has purpose. And she has reason to fight. 
And even if it's not for the Rebel Alliance, it's just to get her dad back. And I was like, damn. And the fact that they played this whole thing and they would cut to shots of her doing not even ugly crying, but she was doing that cry where you're trying really hard not to cry, but it makes you cry harder. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, damn, now I'm crying. I'm calling my dad and telling him how much I love him. It was you just got your ass whooped crying. Yeah. And like, you know, and your parent like threatened you that if you cried, they would give you something to cry about. <laughs> it was just so good. Like the entire scene was amazing. And it gives Jin all that purpose. And suddenly she goes from being that angsty, annoying character to like, okay. She's like, I'm going to, I got shit to do, you know? And at this point, we find out just how dangerous the Death Star really is. Right. And by this point, while this is all occurring, is when we're getting scenes of Krennic uh, meeting with Grand Moth Tarkin, who is (laughs) brought back to life in a frightening CGI creation. I would have preferred they grabbed the corpse of the original actor and tied it up with strings and moved it like a marionette. Because <laughs> that would have been less creepy than fucking that weird CGI monster. I don't know how true this is, but I did hear a rumor uh, around the time that Halloween 2018 was going to come out. Yeah. Okay, so Peter Cushing, who plays Grand Moth Tarkin in the original Star Wars, yes, he was one of the actors that was considered for the role of Dr. Loomis when John Carpenter was casting for that film. And one of the ideas that somebody had was to have Halloween 2018 start with a kind of like pre-credit scene of, you know, basically uh, continuing from the night that Halloween 1 happened and that they would have de-aged Jamie Lee Curtis and also Mm, brought back Donald Pleasance using this same CGI technique. No. (laughs) Again, I I don't know if I could find something to confirm that, but I I did read that at some point on the internet that it was something considered. And uh, it's pretty frightening. That's gross. That's disgusting. This movie does this with two characters. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was actually surprised because when you first see uh, Tarkin, he is not facing any of the characters. He is comically out of place. And I was like, oh, I was like, all right, well, maybe, you know, Tarkin is going to be in this, but he's just going to be facing the opposite way the whole time. And uh, that's how they're going to kind of write their way out of it. And then he turns around, and I was just like, holy fuck, I'm watching a Pixar movie. (laughs) Right? He looked like the fucking dude from Toy Story 2 that repairs, like, Woody. Oh my god, yes! That's what I thought he looked like! (laughs) It was so fucking weird! (laughs) Oh, god. But, uh, you know, in this, it looks like Tarkin is going... It looks like Tarkin is threatening Krennic's position in, you know in this chain of command and also kind of wants to be the one that takes all the credit for creating this weapon because if you watch the original Star Wars it does feel like it's Tarkin who is the guy who's kind of pulling strings here yeah pretty much and I think this movie kind of posits that it's not that Mm -hmm. he essentially rubs out Krennic and he's the one who ends up becoming you know second in command to Vader because of it goes to show you that politics is a bitch no matter what universe you're in um, and when we do see Darth Vader, he is... He's a scary motherfucker. Well, there's a couple things that they do here. One, they introduce us to him on Mustafar, 
which is what happened at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yep. You know, is that he, he was ends, born, kind that, of. Yeah, that is the planet where he becomes Darth Vader, and apparently he just, like, lives there taking chemical baths all the time, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was, like, in a weird chemical bath, wasn't he? Um, He does look a little different than he did in Revenge of the Sith, and that is because, I guess, you know, Gareth Edwards being a fan of Episode Four. Looked at the outfit that the char- that the actor that the you know physical actor who played uh, Darth Vader in the New Hope uh, wore. Yeah, and he modeled. They they basically tailored the suit in this film to look like that other suit instead of like the slicker, kind of thinner and weirder design that they give at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, this yeah. one actually had like the the thicker neck, uh, the like. Uh, I guess lenses that he had over his helmet yeah. were more red, like they are in the New Hope. Mm-hmm. You know, they just they they model it so that it feels like it takes place the week before that movie does, as it should. And uh, I think the less is more uh, presentation of Vader in this has made him the most frightening that he will ever be in any Star Wars movie. Yeah. Essentially, and oh my god, I don't want to talk about it out of order, but holy shit, this movie made me love Vader all over again. Yeah. Oh god. So, as our heroes are able to escape the exploding city on Jeddah. Which, this is the first time that the Death Star is used. Yep. Um, and this is giving you a taste of just the massive destruction that this thing is capable of doing. It destroys the entire holy city that they were in, which... I. Which I guess also the one thing Angel and I like glossed over is the importance of this city is that they have kyber crystals. And if you don't know, kyber crystals are the crystals used to power lightsabers. So it was a really important uh, site for the Jedi Order. Well, anyone that used a lightsaber really. And, you know, of course, the color of the crystal uh determine the color of your lightsaber so it was like really big deal for for the jedi order uh we also find out that uh chiru and bays are a part of a monk order like that kind of like worships the force but in a different way than uh the jedi do the force is no longer midichlorians no yeah that part's stupid so it is back to kind of being a deity at this point anyone can use it i guess which is cool well, no, it's considered something that a lot of people don't believe in, and uh, Bay's kind of like kind of roasts uh, Shiru for having the belief in this in the first place. Yeah, he's like a big stupid idiot. <laughs> I'm assuming, but our heroes end up getting off of uh, Jeddah and they fly over to Iadu. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce. Ah, oh, God, it's so hard pronouncing these damn names. They go to the planet Iadu. I think it's I think someone did Shut up It's Edu I guess (laughs) So they go to Edu And Here they're going to try to extract uh, Our our boy right They're going to try to get Galen out Now Right off the bat There is The issue that Cassian has Orders to kill Hmm Jin is there to save her dad, not knowing that uh, Cassian has his own orders. So the automatic, or all, already, this creates um, a lot of tension between the two characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Cassian takes, he takes what's his name, uh, Bodhi. He takes Bodhi to try to identify Galen so they can take him out. 
Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Galen is... He, uh... Galen was the one that sent Bodhi off planet. So... Tarkin... Not Tarkin. Oh, God. What was his name? <laughs> the other bad guy? Uh, Krennic. Krennic. So Krennic confronts the science team knowing that somebody leaked the information to be sent off planet. So in order to pretty much get Galen to admit it, he threatens to kill the entire science team. And Galen, to, in order to save them, admits that he was the one that, that, that leaked the information. So they end up taking him aside, and instead of killing him, they just end up killing the rest of the science team anyway. Because <laughs> Krennic continues to be the biggest bastard on screen. <laughs> And at this point, Cassian has a clear shot at killing uh, at killing Galen, mm-hmm. but refuses to take it. Meanwhile, if I remember correctly, uh, they were able to call in rebel forces to ca- to come in for an extract, right? To like get them out. And this ends up causing a skirmish between the heroes and Krennic and his men. Where Galen ends up getting shot anyway. And he Mm. ends up dying in Jin's arms. Um, But he leaves him again with that message. He leaves Jin again with that message of hope. Of how... You know, uh, what was the... What's the line they use so much in this movie? That uh, rebellions Rebellions are built built on on hope. hope. So that becomes just kind of her mantra for the rest of the film. And they manage to escape off of Edu... Uh, we got to see some X wings. I was pretty happy about that. <laughs> and I'll say that this the middle section of this film is probably the only one that I'm not crazy about. I love the beginning and setup of this heist. I love the actual heist at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but the middle section where it they're drags. kind of like going from one planet to another. It's and super drag. It's one of those things that I feel like. I feel like this movie didn't have to be as long as it is. Yeah. You know, but I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to damn the movie for being that, but this is definitely the part of the film where, you know, when I watched it after a long day, you know, like coming this home from work. This is what you work, fast forward through. <laughs> and you know, when I have like a toddler that's like running around the house, this is the part of the movie where I just like was falling asleep every single time I watch it. Not because the movie is bad, it's just it, it just it really does drag in this middle section. Well, Good for you, because the next section is pretty much where the movie takes off like a freight train. Because it cuts back to our heroes going back to the Rebel Alliance, telling them, yo, we know about the Death Star, we gotta destroy it. And they're like, we just gotta send everything in there to fuck, fuck this shit up. We know that the plans are on, uh, we know that the plans are on, uh, crap, what's the name? Scarif. It's on this fortress planet called Scarif. That's where, for some reason, the Empire has all their information stored on one planet. So, there. So Jim proposes that... It's like the server planet. It's like the so data. It is, it is like the one data center in the galaxy. It's like, it's like in Halo, how Halo is also a planet of information. It's like, again, if there is technology to destroy a planet... Why put everything on just one planet? Yeah. I mean, for, for again, I work in IT. The fact that there's no redundancy in this empire kind of frustrates me. <laughs> this is an IT, like, worker's, like, nightmare. So, yeah, she, so Jim proposed that they just attack. They, they try to overpower Scarif and destroy the plans, right? Or get the plans. Uh, essentially, the Rebel Alliance is like, nah, bruh. 
like fuck you that that's way too much work so with the help of cassian and now well th- this is where they had like that really interesting back and forth where yeah where jimmy smith comes back uh some of the other characters who were still on the side of good at the end of uh, revenge of the sith are there as well and uh, this is where they decide to go rogue yep and cassian essentially grabs other people that were like him spies assassins murderers people that were doing bad things for good reasons and you know like uh, cassian has that line where he says i've done a lot of things i'm not proud of um, at least if I do this, I knew I'd do one thing right, right? The very class, like, by the numbers line, any redeeming character gets in a film like this. But it works! Like, yeah, it wasn't I, cheesy. Like, I buy it from him because, you know, again, this is a movie where you're dealing with characters whose intentions may be good, but the actions that they've done are not always the best, right? Yeah. Much like the characters in Solo, except the other characters in Solo are more interested in survival. Yeah. These guys have a much more, um, there's a, how do I put it? There's a much more altruistic uh, reason for what they're doing. They remind, when they have that lineup scene and they show them all in in the background while, uh, while Cassian's talking to, uh, to Jin, they remind me of the Dirty Dozen. Mm-hmm. They remind me of those like skeleton crew movies, because that's the other thing is that none of these people stand out. They all look normal as fuck. <laughs> they all just guys that you know they do what they were doing as part of the. They were doing their part, you know. Mm-hmm. They were just doing what joining the movement. So they end up taking uh, taking command of a ship, and they come up with a plan on the fly, so that they can steal using an imperial transport ship. That was piloted by Bodhi, since Bodhi also knows how to maneuver around uh, M- Imperial codes. Mm-hmm. They end up stealing one of the rebel ships, giving themselves the call sign Rogue One, and flying to Scarif. And the entire film, pretty much from when they touch down on Scarif, for the net, pretty much to the ending is batshit crazy awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is where this is where this franchise decides, hey, we're called Star Wars. Let's go ahead and actually give a scene or an entire sequence that feels like something out of a war film. Like this scene on Scarif feels like something out of a D-Day movie. This feels like more of a World War II movie than some World War II movies I've seen. It's like, it feels like storming the beaches of Normandy by the time the Adats show up and, you know, and, and yeah. they're like in full-on battle mode. And I love, like, all the, you know, I love the, just the tactics they use, right? Like, you got Bodhi on the comms and telling other people, like, hey, report that there's a bunch of other battles going on all over the all over the coastline, so that way that they can, like, they can uh, divvy up the forces. Or... Well, he's with the Empire, so he knows. Yeah, he knows what, what to, to say. For, yeah. He knows what they're looking for, so he sends them to the important places. And it, this is where it's just, like, it's the hybrid between a heist film and a war film now. Yeah. And we get those... Um, you know, we got, we just get those beautiful shots of them like along the beach, like getting ready, and suddenly it just like goes off, and there's just great action all around. Um, what was it? The 
you know, we get to the, and you know, the part where I start realizing, or where I realize that this wasn't going to be no longer a fun, jaunty movie, or like that it gets really serious, is when they're getting the plans for the Death Star out of the, like, catalog, Mm -hmm. and K2 is trying to, like, maneuver, right? And they they even have that thing where they have that fun little scene where Jin gives K two a gun and he's like thank you <laughs> like you know he finally has a gun and he immediately starts using it on killing some stormtroopers but eventually he gets overpowered and he gets shot a bunch of times to the point where I'm like oh wait maybe you can still you know I don't know maybe they can grab his head and and then he gets shot in the head and yeah then he like it ends is, up burning he is the first casualty of this mission. Yep. And um, I think that I there was always a thought in my head that this could end with uh, you know major characters dying because you will never see any of these characters again. Yep. I was still surprised that yeah. all of them die. I was surprised that how it escalated too, and how they didn't really like. There was a lot of times where it wasn't like super dramatic. Yeah. There's a lot of members of Rogue One that just died in in the blink of an eye, and you're well, like altruism. Oh, shit. <laughs> like I, I do want to go back to altruism. Like there is, they, you know, they, there is a righteousness in in how they, you know, on how they are acting at the end of this film, and they mm-hmm. have a, you know, they they they, they feel have a like they yeah they feel like they are doing the morally right thing to make sure that this uh, rebellion succeeds. And it becomes a thing where it's like, oh, fuck. They they so understand that part of what's going to make this work and part of the thing that's going to drive the rebellion is them becoming martyrs yep. um, for the cause. And just the way that all of the characters are able to accept death. Like, there's this scene. I forgot who says it. I think it's like Bodhi telling Jin that... You know, the, they have that giant barrier, that, that shield that's going to make escaping impossible. And, you know, they pretty much realize, like, this is a one-way trip. And Jin was just like, okay, then plan B. Let's destroy the, let's destroy the shielding so that transmissions can get through and we'll beam it up instead. Mm-hmm. And I was like... How do you calmly come up with that? Well, that's without the thing. like that is the moment where you find out because before then I thought that this meant maybe Jin, maybe Cassian, maybe both of them in love together yep. get off this planet and they're the ones who deliver the plans for the Death Star by hand. Yeah. Uh, because Jin even like clips it to her belt at one point. But it's yeah, this is the moment where you find out okay, none of them are getting off this planet. So now we have to understand that they're about to die. And also, we're making it sound like it's just Rogue One against the entire planet. At this point, Jin has forced the Rebel Alliance to come try to save yeah. them. So suddenly, like, out, just outside of the planet's, like, shield barrier, so, like, just outside of their atmosphere, just all these Rebel ships just start invading Imperial space. And they just start, like... So, uh, in the middle, while we have, like, a ground, like, trench warfare, essentially, on the beach, you have, like, dogfighting and, like, crazy-ass spaceship battles It's a multi-layered battle. Kind of like what the end of 
uh, Phantom Menace wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, This yeah. is accomplishing it now. Yeah. And it's also, um, it's allowing us to actually feel the stakes that, uh, that mm. we're going to get in the next film. And it just, like I said earlier, it gives it a weight. It just makes everything matter so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, it really makes just the beginning of Star Wars so much more important. Like mm-hmm. the fact that now you, again, this is a world that we are now living in where we know what happens before that movie. And it is, it feels like the battle that turns the tide. Mm-hmm. And, um,. Yeah, I, I can see that because they have that awesome scene where not Akbar, the legally distinct <laughs> Akbar fish guy, he uh, who still talks exactly who like talks Akbar, just like Admiral Akbar, no matter what, like he comes up with that plan to shove a using like a transport ship, they crash it into a fucking star destroyer, which then crashes into another star destroyer, and it's like, oh shit, like. They're actually they like there's a certain there's a certain point in the middle of the battle you're like, wow they might pull it off like they could actually like get well, off not just planet, that, you know? but this is really war this is yeah. really war like they're uh, finding where ways. things don't where you have a battle plan but things don't go according to plan so then you have guys who like you know are ranked in positions of you know your power in this you know in this rebellion that have to make tough choices yeah and uh that is where some guys start sacrificing themselves for the cause yeah and uh it's also really neat that they had two pilots i don't know if you noticed in this scene mustachioed pilots oh who were you know red leader and red five yeah Yeah. which these guys were straight out of b-roll footage from uh star wars which i guess gareth edwards apparently found while he was uh filming this this movie yeah and decided to kind of like fuse it into the film so it again it makes it feel very connected to Mm -hmm. a new hope i mean we saw that thing on imdb where red five dies on this run and then the call sign carries over and is given to Luke when he becomes the new Red Five in A New Hope. Like, it's so fucking cool. Like, it's such a love letter to the OG trilogy, dude. And then, like, you know, you have that scene where where K2, like, you got the the image of K2 destroying the, destroying the, uh, what's it called? The, The control panel so that the doors can lock and he can save Jin and Cassian, right? And then you have, like, that scene where Bodhi manages to finally, like, complete the uplink but then the fucking death troopers come down and you've seen what the death troopers can do and suddenly they're doing it to rogue one (laughs) and this is where it gets real this is where a lot of characters that you like start caring about really start eating it Bodhi eats a grenade to the face and rogue one the ship is destroyed it makes stormtroopers and death troopers intimidating yeah. Because in the original trilogy, they're kind of goofy, and they are always missing shots. These guys don't miss shots. Oh, no, they do not. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you have that scene where Chiru relies on the Force to be able to navigate through an entire, like, sea of laser fire. And he manages to, you know, he, he completes the uplink so that way Jin can actually transmit the the information up to the... Up to the rebels, right? And then immediately gets clipped. Yeah. And you're just like, holy shit. Yep. And then you have then you have Baze, right? And Baze loses his shit. And you're like, okay, maybe Baze will make it. No, he immediately gets clipped too. 
And you're just like, holy shit, they're all dead at this point. Yep. Everyone and, you've and, spent the last hour and a half caring about. Well, Krennic is also on this planet. Oh, fuck that The guy. main villain of this film is on this planet trying to make sure that, you know, that his plan, his evil scheme doesn't get foiled here. <laughs> but the power struggle. The power struggle is very real. Tarkin is ready, willing, and able to fucking murder him along with everyone else on this planet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I look... As important and as and as big a villain as he is earlier in the movie, he is part of the climax of this film. But this movie just I feel like in the end it's kind of like it's okay that that he's not as important as he seems earlier in the oh, film. Oh yeah, and that is because of the way you described it, is that there's three main bads. And I think this is when you're right. And when you're playing that whole political angle, you're showing how with the Empire, while the rebels aren't necessarily perfect and don't have a united front, you find out neither does the Empire. The Empire is a bunch of guys trying to look out for me. Let me say something controversial here. I never cared for the planet, for for the destruction of Alderaan in A New Hope. (gasps) It never felt big to me, even though they blew up an entire planet. Like, I did not feel the important stakes of it. Mm-hmm. Even when they blow up Jeddah earlier in this film, I did not feel the stakes. Even though the only people who are on our side, quote-unquote, here, are Jin and Cassian, when Tarkin gives the order to destroy Scarif, I feel that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, these characters have maybe a implied romantic relationship. But, God, when they are sitting on the beach uh, on Scarif, watching the... Just watching the... Uh, what looks like an atomic bomb went off in the ocean. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like, like and, and understanding that the planet that they're on is about to be fully destroyed. Like, there is something, you know, just really sweet and sad and tragic about the fact that you know this is where it's going to end for them and i think it's important to note that the character that was stronger was Jin, because one of the things that i noticed especially watching it this time is if you pay attention to cassian cassian is looking away from the explosion Mm -hmm. Jin is looking right at it Mm -hmm. and she is just knows what is coming for her but is still you know her family everyone in her family is dead um, she knows that they've delivered the message that they needed to uh, to the rebellion. It's like, what did she have after this yeah. other than more fighting? Yeah. And it's like, she has that moment to finally... Well, the, the peace she wasn't allowed as a child, she gets in death. And I guess that's what makes it a little bit better. Um, you know, it really reminds me, and this is for my gamer boys, like a gamer boy reference. Do you ever play Halo Reach? There's, in the last mission, spoilers for a game that came out, like, ten years ago. <laughs> but the there's the, you know, the, the first, or one of the first Spartans, you know, or Master Chief prototypes. It's the same thing. You're trying to get something off planet, and when you finally manage to do it, like, you're kind of treated to, like, a horde mode, where your only objective is to survive. And it's, like, you trying to hold reach by yourself. And it's like, even though, it's the same thing here. Even though you know what happens to the guys of Rogue One, 
even though because you watched a new hope or same thing there even though if you if you're into halo you know how much of a terrible loss breach was for the humans it's like it's something where you can't help but feel sad about it because now you're watching it actually happen you know it's one of those things where it's like you but you do to see those characters resign themselves to death you know the story continues because and it kind of makes you feel a little bit better too because more heroes are going to rise there's going to be more villains and there's more of this story to be told and holy shit do we get to see a really cool villain at the end of this yep villain number three which uh i realized watching this film that we have gone an entire star wars movie without seeing any jedi yeah without seeing a single lightsaber i know fucking rad and here i when the plans get to the death star get onto this ship and these guys are like running through the hallway i get this crazy feeling where it's I like, was I've like, seen this before. I was like, "Oh shit!" I was like, "Is this really? Is it? Are they really gonna feed right into the beginning of a new hope here?" Yeah. And I never noticed this until this time watching it. But when the lights go off in that hallway, and the door cl- closes and is kind of stuck but doesn't open again, mm-hmm. that's not an electrical failure. Mm-hmm. It's Darth Vader yeah. that's doing it. And uh, in the dark, you hear, like, the alarm that's going off, which is, you know, like, that alarm is awesome because it's it reminds me of the trailers for the Alien franchise. Yeah. And it was all over the trailers for uh, Rogue One as well. Yeah, I remember. You it. know, so it felt, it felt really, like, it just gets your tension up. And in the dark, you see the red lightsaber, you know, pop up. And the music swells and gets absolutely dramatic. And it's also important to note that the, the, the composer of this, Michael Giacano, is not John Williams. Mm-hmm. Even though he kind of cribs John Williams in a lot of the scenes in this film. And even the one like piece of music that I'm not crazy about and still fucking trips me out is the not Star Wars theme. The... It's just like... It sounds like... Uh, a it's movie legally that, distinct. Yeah, like a movie that does not have rights to actual Star Wars music. <laughs> it sounds like it's the theme song for Galaxy Battles. Like, <laughs> But this scene where it's just like the choir going off. It just and, goes off like a fucking motherfucker. <laughs> and Darth Vader is slaughtering everyone without a second thought. Uh, this is the greatest uh, Darth Vader scene in the history of this franchise. Easily. Because as cool as Darth Vader is as a villain in the OG trilogy, the fact that he can't move or do anything really, like, it's a very slow It's like what we talked about with Batman 89, right? Michael Keaton could barely move in the suit, so they didn't rely on fighting, they just relied on presence. Which is the same thing that happened in Star Wars, and Star Wars predates that. Like Darth Vader oh, is totally. Darth Vader is the prototype of that of a Batman suit. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and in this, yes, he can finally move around again. He is played by a much younger actor, yeah. and uh, I also love that they dis- that they brought were able to bring back uh, the wonderful voice. Of James Earl Jones. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> this is our second time that we've discussed him in a movie in this series because... Well, no, third. Because second <laughs> one was Re- Revenge of the Sith and the first one is still 
Exorcist 2. I hate that as esteemed as that man is, his history on our show starts with Exorcist 2. <laughs> the guy who was the voice of CNN, played Mufasa in The Lion King, is coming back to play Mufasa in the remake of The Lion King, will always just be Kakumo from Exorcist 2 on this show. You're welcome, guys. Which that he made that the same year that uh, New Hope comes out. So fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> but um, whatever. Uh, anyway, best uh, Darth Vader scene ever. Uh, I'm telling you, if I can get a two-hour movie of Darth Vader killing killing motherfuckers in a hallway, I would be happy. Because <laughs> um, that was so cool. This gets this message again gets to another guy, you know, who's part of this rebellion army. He gets onto an escape craft, and he flies to another ship that is likely very identical. I guess these guys are from Alderaan, right? These are Alderaan? Yeah, they look like Alderaan troops, I yeah. guess. is supposed to be what we take away here. Because the ship that he ends up on is the ship where, you know, we have, looking at her back again, it is Leia. And I was hoping, I was like, God... Please let it just be the back of Leia's head. Yeah. And uh, but you know at the same time, I, the reason why I can never slander this move is because again, this was the week that uh, Carrie Fisher really passed away, mm-hmm. and the fact that she gets the last line of this movie, and that the last line of this movie, you know, uh, was hope. Yep. That is it. That is all yeah, you need. You don't need anything else, and that's perfectly fine. Also, that continues apparently an unofficial tradition of the Star Wars movies to end with a member of the Skywalker family. Like, uh, I guess the closing shot for every other one has included a Skywalker, including Anakin, which sucks. (laughs) But yeah, it's so great. It's such an amazing way to end the movie. It's nice, simple. You don't get too much of creepy Carrie Fisher and, like, creepy not Carrie Fisher in your face. And I think it's really interesting that, you know... Of the, uh, of the, like, essentially the big three of the Star Wars franchise, being Luke, Han, and Leia, like, Carrie Fisher is the only one that has unfortunately shuffled off this mortal coil, but on screen, her character is the only one that's still alive. So, nice little fun Well, she's going to be in episode 9. Yeah, she's already outlived Han and Luke in yeah. the series. So, I'm pretty sure she's going to die in episode 9 because this new trilogy has been a member of the original trilogy dying in every film. Yep. So, or she might just, you know, do what Obi-Wan did and fuck off into the Force. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> you never know. Fuck off into the Force. <laughs> Uh, do we like Star Wars Rogue One? Fuck yeah, I like Star Wars Rogue One. <laughs> I think that goes without saying at this point. Uh, yeah, I think we discussed it earlier in the film. I have a lot of love for this movie. It makes the rest of the original trilogy matter so much more. Um, mm-hmm. It sets the table for the characters that we love from the original trilogy, which I have to say... I'm fucking excited that we're finally getting to the original, original yeah. Star Wars trilogy. This the, is finally where this uh, where this series will turn a page. Because, and it's funny enough, this is the section of the franchise that I've revisited the least. Really? Only because I discovered it in my adult life. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. You know, like, again, like I said, I watched the prequels growing up. I did not watch the original trilogy in its entirety until I was in college. Damn. That's fucking crazy. (laughs) 
So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, I'm very excited that we're finally getting to the original trilogy. I cannot wait to give my thoughts on that. Thank you guys for, you know, kind of hanging in there with us as we work through some of these scheduling conflicts. Uh, and I hope this episode was, you know, if, if not the best episode in our canon, at least a welcome addition into your iPod day, uh, weekly playlist. <laughs> Thanks for letting us penetrate your ear holes. <laughs> Could you have said that grosser? No, I could not. Um, the next uh, episode that we will be doing, so we've got two, well, we've got, besides our Star Wars franchise, we've got two non-Star Wars movies that are coming up uh, in the near future. Uh, we both watched Spider-Man Far From Home, and keeping in tradition with our for fucking some reason, we're actually watching Marvel movies as well. Yeah, why are we still? <laughs> Marvel's dead! <laughs> We're uh, we're reviewing Spider-Man: Far From Home, and uh, after that we will do uh, Episode Four: A New Hope. After we do Episode Four: A New Hope, we're gonna get to something that I'm very excited to get to. Uh, you know, we reviewed Batman '89 a few weeks ago because it was the 30th anniversary of that film. Mm-hmm. It is the 30th anniversary of another film from 1989 that I am very excited to talk about, and that is. Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Oh, finally we'll be out of superhero movies. That's what I'm happy about. Not only will we be out of superhero movies, but we're going to cover some really serious subject matter as well. (laughs) Yeah, and we're going to try to present it in our trademark, you know, reverent and irreverent manner. (laughs) So, uh, again, you know, thank you for, thanks guys for, like, continuing to follow the podcast and to download the episodes, like, We've gone nearly two weeks without a new episode, and uh, we have been getting awesome download numbers uh, for our existing catalog. So uh, we cannot thank you guys enough. Please continue to spread the word of the show. Continue to give us reviews on iTunes. Um, We very much appreciate you for it, and we will try to provide content as consistently as possible going forward. Yep. So we'll catch you guys next time when we review Far From Home. All right, so uh, I'm Angel. I'm Harvey. Later, turds.